Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Oh, yes. I am wearing all my fuzzy things. It feels cold to me. I'm not used to it. I am have, I'm weak as a cold in the fall. I know that by the time... Uh, the May rolls around. It's 49 degrees. I think it's summertime. But right now, I'm all, I'm all snuggled up in here. And, of course, this is, like, my favorite part of the week. I love the chance to visit with you. Um, here's what we've got going on today. So take notes. Very important. Uh, we're going things that are old, things that are new. I've got lead sit-back dean here from the Star Tribune. She's been running our main coverage of food in the Twin Cities for 40 years, and she is in charge of the big Star Tribune Taste 50 celebration. Um, So, yeah, can you believe it? 50 years of the taste section of Star Tribune. She, If you happen to have the Thursday uh, paper, you should really get it out. She wrote the whole thing. It's basically a Lee Sitvakdeen book. And we're going to talk about the things she's seen over the years, the trends in zucchini, the trends in microwaves, all the trends. Uh, Do you have questions for us? Um, You can text us, as always. All right. Um, And so we've also got later in the show, 3Jack, the the people that are running this new high-end golf simulator in town. Uh, 3Jack, you're going to have cocktails, sit in a little booth. And do like fancy golf underwater and it's fantasy and all kinds of things are happening. We're going to find out all about that uh, later in the other half of the show. And we will also, as ever, be taking your calls and talking about squash. Yeah, it's winter squash season. That's what we're doing. First, you pick them up at the farmer's market. Then you pile them on your table. Then eventually you eat them before they get soft and weird. Right, Lisa Bechtin? That's how it goes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right. Welcome. So you are – I ran into you at a very fancy dinner, and you told me that you were in the middle of this giant taste celebration. And I was like, oh, we have to have her on the show because you've been pouring through all the back issues, and you know things about us. <laughs> It definitely is a little time capsule of the Twin Cities local food scene um, when you go back 50 years and see what what kind of options there were and how people thought about food and uh, uh, the kinds of recipes that people were looking for. So it's been fun. So this 50 years of taste, they basically mirror the uh, women out of the home getting work jobs in the workforce, right? So that was... Absolutely. You you bet. In fact, one, one of the things that was interesting to me is that as we look through... 50, 50 years of, of weekly issues that the things that come up most often are, you know, how can I get dinner on the table really fast and how can I make it even faster? Um, so this is something that people were talking about in 1969 as well as, as now. And that's definitely when, not only when women were going back to work, but in general, people always wanted to cook food fast. Um, and but before the taste section, if I can get, like, I can kind of yeah. peer into the, the past, there used to be quote unquote, the women's pages. Of course. And the women's pages, you would have both like society and housekeeping and food. They'd all be there together. Mm -hmm. And then taste 
which is now 50 years old, that kind of marks the end of the women's pages, the beginning of, of food as its own category, silo, whatever we're saying. Right, right. Um, many newspapers started shifting away from women's pages. And of course, that probably was a cultural issue as well as anything. Um, but, but really what people, what, what business folks on the newspaper side realized is that there was a big market for grocery ads to bundle them all in one place. And oh, that, that was, sense. that was the incentive really for, for newspapers all over to, to be shifting to here's one place where we can, you know, put all our, put all the ads and, and make a ton of money. And, and that's what they did for, for many, many years. I was thinking about this the other day, cause we have a, you know, like many families, we have a fridge with a fridge calendar. You know, it just hangs there, uh-huh. and you put all the it's a school conference, it's the dentist, it's this, so that everybody, the kids, and every can see visually what's happening. I like a wall calendar more than a you know phone calendar where it's a secret. Anyway, so I was looking at the wall calendar. We have this Rube Goldberg one, which just cracks me up. So that's the old. You know, newspaper comic strip, and it has this elaborate thing about how to steal somebody else's milk from the milkman on the doorstep. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, oh, I need a milkman. A milkman is such a good idea, delivering milk to your door. And then you think about it, and it's like, have we with DoorDash and uh, you know, Blue Apron and this, that, and the other thing? Have we kind of spent? Two generations reinventing the milkman. <laughs> well, that's um, yeah. That, I mean, that more or less is the case. And, and I remember as a kid, um, and actually even in college, I had had an apartment, and we had a milkman come and drop off milk once a week, and a little in a some sort of uh, container that would keep it cold outside the door. And uh, so. So, that yeah. was better. That yeah. was better. Mm-hmm. Bring back the milkman. Sagan <laughs> 2019. That's our that'd be my slogan for 2020. Um and the hindsight is 2020 milkmen were the best. Okay. So <laughs> uh so let's talk about should we just go decade by decade? How do you want to tackle this enormous uh, project you've had of looking through the whole archives? What have you seen about America? Let's start it in the – it launched uh, right in the 1970s, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'll point out that between 19 19- 1969, when, when the, the taste section started out, and today it was 2,600 um, weeks, <laughs> issues of the, uh, the paper that we went through. And um, some of the things that you found really in the early days, people, when you look back at some of the recipes, for example, and even some, some of the topics, they seem really old-fashioned um, or sort of out of, you know, what we, out of what we would normally think of as what you're going to eat um, and be happy about it. And what people don't realize is that in the late 60s, early 70s, there were really not a whole lot of choices out there at the supermarket, far, far fewer than than what you see now. There was basically very, very little fresh uh, produce, for example, that comes, you know, as you comes later, closer to the 80s, where you start seeing kiwi and Anything when air unusual? I mean, came in. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, and the the air shipments were were huge um, for for bringing in fresh fish, for example, from the coast. Before that, we were strictly a frozen frozen or canned fish um, community. And <laughs> same for vegetables. I think I did a yeah. project for City Pages, which I used to work there when I was a tiny child. And I was in the archives looking at papers from you know 1905, and there would be. 
uh, banner headlines would be like, "There are prunes coming to St. Paul. Like, get down to the get down yeah, to the train I mean, depot if you want any." Yeah, no, I mean, it was an entirely different, you know, way of looking at food, and and so many of the recipes then would have used uh, different kinds of canned foods that you throw together. One of um, one of my favorite sort of outrageous recipes that was that ran in the in the very first year was related to a tailgating party that was being described. And the the food for the tailgate party was something called a lima bean and pear casserole. Casserole, which, oh dear! And pears you know, and lima beans in yeah, a casserole. Yeah, it's just what you want to see at a football game, right? Um, <laughs> and and yeah, because in they, your Ford Fairlane, what <laughs> great vehicle would you even have had? And uh, and they both probably came from a can, um, as as I'm thinking it through. So so yeah, no, totally different different world for for. Uh, for cooks at that time. So. Do I? If you just had to get me to guess, I would have said 1970s would be a whole bunch of things to do with sunflower seeds and sprouts. <laughs> well, that was going on as well because you, that's when you had the start of the the food co-ops, for example. So um, I would say that you know uh, many conversations about many articles on vegetarian food at that time. It was. It was a little more brown ricey than definitely what you see right now, <laughs> but um, that's come a long way as well. So, yeah, some of that stuff persists. Every once in a while, you see a salad at a potluck, and it's got all the raisins and sunflower seeds in it, and you're like, it's "Oh, hello, healthy. Jimmy Carter! I love you. <laughs> Good to see you again." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and so then should we just go through the decades? Eighties. Sure. What what happened? It was the go go eighties, and then there was a kind of a um, I think of it as a the sun dried tomato years. Like a certain <laughs> amount of of elite ingredients entered the public conversation. Yes, you know, you definitely had that. You had brie cheese. Everybody oh, was brie. like melting their brie in the oven. Um, well, that's right. For and, appetizers, and there's all this <laughs> drama about like real men. Do they eat brie? Do they eat quiche? Uh, yes, definitely. A lot of arguing about the <laughs> masculinity and food from France. <laughs> And, and you also, at this point, you start to you do start to see produce really changing. You have a community, um, a, a Vietnamese community, that has started to uh, uh, have ingredients that are filtering back into mainstream mainstream supermarkets, for example. Um, and and fresh pe- cilantro arrives. Yes, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, these are these were really big deals uh, when when they were popping up in the in the stores. You had more and more people who were traveling, and so. They would be, you know, going to Indonesia, and they would write the food food section and say, uh, "I had this really lovely whatever." <laughs> In Indonesia, can you find me a recipe like that? And uh, so people's tastes were, you know, definitely expanding at that point. So, <laughs> oh, and pignoli nuts and fresh yeah. basil arrived like mm-hmm. in the '80s. All right, and then now uh, the '90s. '90s is a, a kind of um. A, a fat time in newspaper subscriptions and circulation. Yeah, it, it, you know, it definitely was. You know, I, I would say that everything was becoming, you know, what we would think of as a little more contemporary um, for what the what the food section was offering. People are, are you know, just starting to get interested in chefs. Um, it's not quite the, uh, um, I'm like trying to remember the year of the, when Food Network went on, um, it was probably the later the later '90s when that when that uh, came up, and then yeah, people's t- 
taste started evolving a little more towards restaurants and wanting to duplicate those restaurant dishes that they liked at home and uh, becoming becoming much more aware of of the sort of chef factor in in all this. Oh yeah, the late nineties. I want to <laughs> say the Food Network started in ninety seven. That's I think when I or that it. It had started small, and 97 was when it broke wide uh, because cable TV all of a sudden became not a rare occurrence but a a commonplace occurrence. And then, yeah, that was kind of what I think of as contemporary food, you know, like as of 2019 food. Like it kind of had roots in that late 90s. Um, those first celebrity chefs and Merrill, all those things, <laughs> uh, and the and the recognition that American cuisine is not one thing. I think that's there was sort of an idea before then, like American food, it's something. And then all of a sudden, in the late '90s, people started saying, "Oh, well, you know, San Francisco food is not New Orleans food, is not Portland Maine food. Like they're different. They have different traditions, different ingredients." Well, it kind of started around there. All right, so the '90s started paying attention to chefs. Um, and then – and restaurant chefs as well. I feel like restaurants became much more – Oh, definitely, definitely. And then you definitely had the move also towards um, emphasizing more local ingredients and the move towards knowing who your grower was, who who the farmer was who raised the beef that, that you um, are eating at the restaurant, that kind of thing. And pe- I think people became much more in tuned uh, – in tune with, with those types of things, those types of conversations – those conversations always went on before, but suddenly it was mainstream. And then I think we're going to have a hard time distinguishing the 2000s. What was going on then? Right, right. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's just a, an extension of, of, of that interest in local and farmer and regional. And, and you know, what will be interesting to see is where does it go from there? At, at what point do people say, well? Locals kind of boring, you know. I, now I'm like oh, ready God, for is, something that else. That's the thing I'm up against all the time. It's like the we know how to eat right. Eating right is a is a variety of whole foods, so not the store. But uh, oh, I got a Food Network launched in 1993 from Jonathan. But I've actually gone down and kind of disputed. I, I've had a lot of uh, a lot of ink spilled over the years over that one. I don't think it was a national. It wasn't a big presence. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, 90s food cable TV. And I, I, let's say the 2000s are when individual voices started to be – I started to do – I started – you started to do – everyone started to do sort of a wider focus on individuals, more points of light as it were. Yeah. No, I would, I would say that that, that that was the case as well. <laughs> yeah. And now here we are today. All right. So tell the people what uh, what's going on with Taste. How can they participate? You've got a whole bunch of special issues coming up. We do. So we had sort of the the overall, you know, big bang um, on Thursday of, of this past week. And for the rest of the Thursdays throughout the month, we have different topics for uh, for each week that look at uh, aspects that we think are important in local food. Uh, we have a shout out to the restaurants next week. Um, that have been around for 50 years, as well as those that... Oh, I want to really... see a list of those. I'm going to get that <laughs> Thursday Star Tribune. Yeah, and, and, and also the res- the restaurants that we really miss um, as well. And I, I th- it's fun. It's really fun to look at. We we also take a look at um, Charlie's Cafe Exceptional and a big con- controversy over a recipe of theirs um, that percolated 
for decades. And oh. um, so we have the scoop on that. And then uh, the following week on, this, on the, 17th, or the uh, 17th, we're looking at all the changes in the sort of alcoholic beverages that people are, are choosing these days. So we look at cra- the evolution of craft beer, the evolution of people drinking wine, and definitely the cocktail explosion as well. And then we look at, on the third week, fourth week, we look at the, uh, the sort of evolution also of the food co-op because those basically started in right around 1970s. We were one of the, naturally, we were one of the leaders in that and had more food co-ops than any, any other state in the, the nation, and I believe we still do. So it, yeah, we had it, Jonathan a, Kaufman. He wrote a whole book yes, about that, and yeah. we had him on the show, and he said basically Whole Foods came on up here and stole our <laughs> concept and then uh, went to Texas and, and made it less good. Yeah, well. We'll see. Um, Where do you weigh in on that? All right. Well, we'll be talking, we'll be talking with some of the people who, who started these out, and, and, and back then – there were co-ops that started out on people's porches. You know, they had food stashed in their basement or in their, you know, living room. And you would go into a house and, you know, barter for, for things. And I love anyways, an idealist Minnesotan. Nothing makes <laughs> me happier. Like yes. And for the final week in, in October, which is the 31st, we look back on our Halloween craziness that we've we've done over the years and anyways it'll be fun you'll have to take a peek at it so gummy worms gummy worms (laughs) get their moment in the sun again all right well lee thank you for coming in i feel i could talk to you about this for a thousand hours because it's extremely interesting you sat there and you went through all the things uh i am a supporter of the star tribune i subscribe i got my digital edition i get it on my porch everybody should local journalism is excruciatingly important so how we have a democracy so not just the wonderful Lise Fitzak-Dean in the Star Tribune, though we do have her. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing this all with us. All right, so you're going to look at StarTribune.com. If you don't subscribe, you should get one. Uh, And uh, I don't know, maybe we should just have you back to talk coloring contests. That's the one thing we didn't talk about, the exciting turkey day. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, I bet people have a lot of stories about battling their siblings to get a copy of the coloring page on Thanksgiving. All right, Lee, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. All right, everybody, we're going to take a little break here. we come back. We're going to talk winter squash recipes. Uh, my Twitter is blowing up with that, at Dear Dara. Do, should we peel these squashes, or can we just roast them and deal with them second? We're going to find out about that when we come back. <laughs> that is a fun sample, Jonathan. Are we screaming for squash? Yeah. Okay, so here's the story. I'm going to be talking about winter squash for the next six months because it's winter squash season. You can get them at the farmer's market. They're just piled up. I love them. They're beautiful. And uh, then you can cook them because guess what? They're really good for you. Squash is nutritious. It's full of B vitamins, minerals, uh, carotenoids, which are the different things like carrots are orange, and that's why squash are orange. Uh, And it's just they're very good for you. Your body can use them all kinds of ways to fight disease and heal you and give you energy. Yes, squash. Feel very positive about it. All right, so here's my first one. And these are all up at WCCORadio.com. I've also tweeted out the link at Dear Dara. They're on my Facebook page at Dara.Grumdahl. That's the internet situation for the squash recipe out of your garden into the bits and bites. Okay, first one is Melissa Clark. You don't have to actually look at this recipe. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a little acorn squash. You're going to cut it into slices just like you're cutting up a cantaloupe or something, 
put it on a baking sheet with a little ginger, maple syrup, olive oil, and then you just roast them and you serve them whole. You're just serving whole wedges. It's so good. Your kid can pick them up and eat them like a cantaloupe slice or you can use a knife and fork because you're fancy. That's how you do that. So a kabocha squash is is an ideal squash for that. All right, and then I've got a squash pie. Can you have pie for breakfast? Yes, you can, especially if it's a brown sugar squash pie. Get one of those giant Hubbard squashes, take it out on the driveway and drop it so it breaks because those things cannot be cut otherwise. Then you bake it um, and you make a pie. So I've got that up there. Delicata squash and Brussels sprout salad. It's like the most healthy thing in the known universe. You're going to get your cruciferous vegetables and your bright orange squash, put it together in a living miso dressing. It's like you're one of those crazy 100-mile runners. That's that's how healthy you'll be eating if you eat that squash salad. All right, here's one for the lazy people. How about a squash smoothie? You can do this. Just get a bag of frozen squash from good old Minnesotan snowpack and dump it into your yogurt. Whir it around. That's good. You can do that. And then my favorite, we make this all the time now, get some salsa matcha, which is a, a dry kind of spice from the Latin American specialty store. Uh, and then you kind of put that on the squash, same way with a just some oil. And with this dried stuff, you're putting it on any kind of winter squash. It's so good. I got this tip from Rick Bayless. I do it all the time. I have the recipe up there, but you know, it's another one. You don't really need the recipe. Just get a jar of this dried spice called salsa matcha. That's M-A-C-H-A, salsa matcha. And you just put that on any squash. Oh, it's so good. All right, so those are the recipes. We're going to take a break and come back, and then we're going to have the crew from 3Jack. Dara here. All right. We're going to have plenty of time at the end of the show for you to call in and ask me anything. Or as it's been lately, stump the critic. 651-989-9226. I've I've been really humbled by the number of things I don't know. But I do know some things. You can call and ask me something I do know. Also, try. Why not? All right. So 651-989-9226. Up until that point, we're talking about the newest thing in the history of the Twin Cities. I don't know. It's 3Jack. 3Jack is going to be this big new indoor golf and cocktail spot in the North Loop. They're opening Monday. So Lucy Robb is here. She's one of the two owners, brother-sister team. Uh, And also Nathan Rostance is here, uh, extremely elite team of food and cocktail people who have been assembled. Like Jesse Held from, oh, everything, Parlor, Constantine, so on and so forth. And Robert, Robert Wolfile, who's the chef, used to be at Ocean Air, used to be at Mercury Lounge. So when I first heard about this, I kind of thought, like, oh, this is another nothing. Um, but no, it is not a nothing. It is a big, big honking deal. All right, 3Jack is here. Let's hear about it. You guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Lucy, you thought I'd like to see more of my brother and also golf simulators. Is that how this all came about? <laughs> exactly. I couldn't get enough of my brother. No, we uh, we we are very close, and we have wanted to be in business together for years. So for about 10 years now, we've been calling each other back and forth with a lot of business ideas. Many really? of them have been garbage. <laughs> a couple of them had legs, and uh, – this one we really dove into, and as we researched it more and more, we thought, all right, we, we might have something here. All right, so 3Jack is the very fancy golf simulators and very good food and cocktails 
And is it like everybody gets a private bay, kind of like a karaoke room in Japan? Like you go and you get a special private area? We have six simulator bays. Um, A couple of them are more private than others. We have three that are right in a row. And those are a little bit more open. So kind of um, like a bowling alley, like ching, yep, ching, ching. Yep, okay. so three three are more similar to a bowling alley, and the others are, are private. And so then it's for either private, you know, like me and my friends that we go, or it's for, you know, the team from 3M who is working on new adhesives, like they go and bond, that kind of thing? All of the above, okay. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, so we'll um, have some of our simulators available for rental um, and reservation, but we'll also allow walk-ins. So we'll have two simulators usually available for any walk-ins. And then will it be it's like table service? I sit down, I pick out my Yeah, all of our bays are full, full service, food and drink. So just like if you were sitting in our dining room, you'll have a server available to bring you a cocktail and a burger. Interesting. All right. So Nathan Rosehance, you're the you're the you're the kind of brains behind how good this really sounds. Like I said, I didn't think much of it when I first heard about it, and then I saw the All Star team. I was like, oh, it's kind of like Ocean's Eleven. There's a they assembled just all the safe crackers. So tell me about this. Well, it's kind of you to call call any of these people All Stars, but it's a it's a really great team that we've put together. So Lucy, Lucy and Bo worked on the project for quite some time, and eventually it came to the point where they wanted to do a full-service restaurant, and that's where they got me involved. And they already had Jesse Held involved for the cocktails, and uh, so I came in to help kind of develop the operations, develop the service, uh, brought my friend Bill Somerville in to help with the wine. Oh, that's right, Bill yeah, Somerville. Involved, he and, used to be uh, the sommelier at La Belle Vie, and now, I mean, so that's kind of a big get. It was a big get, and, well, I, I, used, to, I used to do wine lists. I, I started that's the wine That's how I list. know you. At the Bachelor Farmer before Aaron Rolick took over for me after a couple of years, but uh, since kind of pulling away from from wine, I've kind of lost my chops. So I had to bring bring some some big guns in to help, and that's where Bill came in. Yeah, so we've got Jesse Held on cocktails, Bill Somerville on wine. Uh, people that know these names in the Twin Cities, like it's kind of and, the, and golf. And then you were telling me it's not just straight up like you know it, it's the course of the Masters. It's also kind of fun stuff like underwater. Oh, yeah. We have all sorts of games on these simulators. The The technology on them is really fancy. So if you're a regular golf, golfer, you can go in and see all stats involving swing speed, distance, um, all sorts of fancy things that I'm not a good enough golfer to care about. But um, if you are, we have them. And then if you are not a regular golfer, we have all sorts of gamified versions of golf, like darts or, as you mentioned, underwater putt-putt. Underwater putt-putt. It's like a dream I didn't know I had. I could have an old-fashioned and golf underwater. <laughs> exactly. I, my family was in for one of our friends and family dinners last week, and my uncle is a pretty avid golfer, but my father-in-law is not. And they started swinging the clubs on a golf course. And when I came back, the two of them were very serious about a game of underwater putt-putt that was going <laughs> on. And it's pretty it's, – it's, it's, it's so fun that you just get hooked into it. All right. So my first thought when I looked at it is a little pricey, right? So tell me about this. It's it's like sixty bucks an hour, and that's per pay, not or excuse me, per bay, not per person. Oh, okay. So if you have six people at your bay, it's it's ten bucks a person. Oh, that's nice because golf. That's how bowling always ends up too. You're like, oh, it's only seven bucks a person, and then all of a sudden it's a thousand busy math. Um. So all right. So it's not that much if you got a big group together. Mm-hmm. Um. And so. Three Jack name. 
It's confusing. It's TH and then the number three, because it seems like you're a metal band from Canada or something. So tell me about that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, a three jack is a term for a three putt on the golf course. Is it? Yes. So it, it's our, our subtle nod to golf. Um, most regular golfers don't actually know the term for a three putt, which, which we liked. It was a nod to the game, but not in your face like mulligans. Oh, yeah, because mulligan sounds a bit tacky. It sounds like there'd be popcorn on the floor. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) All right, so is there anything else we should know? It's all happening Monday. Yeah, Monday's the big day. We'll be open for dinner starting at 5 o'clock. I think, you know, for me, what makes this this new restaurant really exciting is the fact that we have the golf simulators, six golf simulators, but they're – they're not right in your face in the dining room. They're, they're kind of tucked away to the side. So we have a, a really beautiful dining room, full-service bar. And it's the kind of place where you can come and have a great meal, a great cocktail, a great glass of wine, even if you don't know about golf, even if you hate golf. It's not going to be right in your face. But if you love golf, um, that's just a, a wonderful bonus for you here because you, you have that available to you as well. So we hope people will come in. For the great food and the great service, uh, the great the great beverage program, but also for the golf as well. For the great uh, the great opportunity to see Jesse Held set up across a street from a place he knew his name, so that's going to be weird, right? So uh, North Loop, all right. So North Loop, uh, Chad Harmon was asking me the, over the weekend, like saturated? Can it get? You guys are going right into it because you get a new space. That's the that's the appeal, right? Not just a new space, but it's a new space on the first floor of a seven-story parking garage. So we're pretty ideally located in a parking-challenged neighborhood. Um, so we got. Do we got, you validate? Is that a thing anymore? Does anyone validate? We don't validate. That's a good question, though. Um, no, but we have we have 450 spots available to you right upstairs. Well, that's good. But there's there's more and more restaurants coming in all the time, and and to me that's that's fantastic. You know, the more energy we can bring. The more life we can bring into the neighborhood, the better for everyone. So we're, we're happy to be part of that. We're, we feel lucky to be part of that. Yeah. All right. So Three Jack, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming on Monday. I kind of hoped I would be able to check it out before you guys came on. But say, la vie, that's the way this cookie crumbled or that's the way this golf ball didn't sink into that hole. All right. So Lucy, Rob, thank you so much for coming in. And Nathan Rose Stance, it was great to see you. Good luck with the opening. And you guys have bunch of little tiny kids between you. Lucy, you have an 18-month-old, and Nathan, you got a two and a four. My goodness, you're busy. (laughs) Yeah, they're listening in the car right now. They're out parked in the backyard uh, listening right now. They're very excited about this. So, Oh, hi, ladies. (laughs) Hi, girls. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, We come back. We're going to have plenty of time. Ask me anything. Call on in, 651-989-9226. Sarah here. I'm back. We got a nice long Ask Me Anything segment and or um, call in 651-989-9226. So my first question, somebody says they're watching my Facebook and seeing me rant about artificial turf. And here I am being positive about artificial golf. Yes, I contain millions. Uh, Okay, so... This is totally different because this artificial golf is happening inside a building. Can't have can't have natural space and birds and land and pollinators and flowering lawns. All right, so here's the situation um, on my Facebook page. I learned just like two weeks ago that the uh, little sweet park near in South Minneapolis, Whittier Field, is on the chopping block 
through the this weird, crazy park board, Minneapolis Park Board reorganization plan, and they want to cover the whole thing with artificial turf. And so now I got sucked into this artificial turf I think is really, really bad. I mean, I understand if you're a professional soccer player and you need a, you know, whatever, year-round space, but those things are not neighborhood surfaces. They're full of uh, chopped up tires that they put this kind of rubber lid on. I learned that Edina has been – a bunch of moms in Edina have been trying to get rid of them. They're really expensive. They they outgas all these toxins. They mess up the water. You know, the rain falls down and it can't get absorbed into the earth because it's landing on rubber and tires and all this stuff. Um, and it's bad for pollinators, which I care about a lot. I care that we uh, are stewards of this earth and we pass it on the way it was given to us in God's majesty. We pass it on in good shape, and that includes the birds that live on it. These are my core values as someone who cares about food and children and plants and everybody. I don't see you care about feeding adults, and then you just think, well, just set fire to everything um, because uh, we're, one, we're one group. We're one community, and we need grass. Uh, so I'm against artificial turf. I'm going to go to this meeting on Monday night, and I'm going to make a big stink as much as I can. But I think everybody needs to kind of look at their local park plan and see if they're getting the same artificial turf. It's just uh, – it's not good. Um, it raises the rates of concussions for kids that fall on it. It heats up to, like, really hot in the sun. Um, it creates all these abrasions and stuff. I mean – and it creates higher rates of, of asthma. Soil, which we – evolved with is good for us. It helps train your body to know what's dangerous and what's not. Um, So just I'm all about I'm turning into a full-fledged tree hugger. I was walking through the park the other day and this little kid was just running and hugging trees. Just tiny like a two-year-old was just hugging this tree and then it would run to this other tree that was not far and hug it also and it was the sweetest thing. So yes. Could I I ask ask one thing and then make a comment? Yeah. Uh, if you take out the grass from park, you have to actually and, dig it out. So you have to yeah, dig out the topsoil, dig out all the all the sod, and then you in the replace soil. and then you replace it with a layer of rocks. Right. And then you replace it with a layer of ru- of rubber tires that are all yeah cut chopped up. up rubber tires. And yeah. then you put a plastic lid on top, like a rubberized plastic lid on top of all of that. It's so, so expensive. What so, a waste of money. If that happens, is it a park anymore? I don't see how it can be a park when you replace the grass with turf. And it, then it's how do you maintain it? You know, it's not like a oh, free yeah. thing. You got to go back and and redo it all every couple of years. It seems like a fiscal nightmare as well. It's like this is you know a green field. Sure, you got to mow it now and then, but uh, actual all of that construction. And all of the upkeep. And so there's a whole bunch of lawsuits going on in Texas right now with uh, suing the manufacturers of those things because there's a lot of, of bad effects of them. And I that's why I always kind of say I am the true conservative because I think why spend all that money and go through all that rigmarole to have all of those problems when you can just play soccer on a lawn? Yeah, and the other thing, you, you, you talk about soccer, maybe lacrosse or something like, you know, People play football in these parks. They play frisbee. They, right. There's a kickball league that meets on that park. And, and then there's just other things like flashlight tag. You know, you're not going to play flashlight tag on an artificial pad. No. And the thing is, you, you yes, if you have something artificial underneath, it might have less wear and tear, especially in rain or especially in winter. 
But I'll tell you, having played soccer when I was young and uh, seeing some of these places that have, you know, these football stadiums that have some of this turf, you didn't want to play on AstroTurf when it was frozen or when it was snowing outside because it gets slippery. And you don't want to play when it gets hot because it can be, the surface can be 30 degrees hotter than everything around it. And that's why they got rid of all these baseball stadiums in the past with artificial turf because... Coming from an area where you had an artificial turf stadium in the middle of July and August when it was 95 with 70% humidity, it wasn't a good thing. Yeah, and it it increases the rates of injury too. I mean, so you know, you know, and there seems to be this idea like, oh, well, um, only, you know, crazy rich people uh, want lawns. It's like I don't see that there's a group of people who are like, I'd like my child to get, child to get asthma and concussions and get more scrapes and, you know, right. like. And and the thing is, you, you, you touched on this at the very first part of it. Yes, there are artificial turf surfaces out there, but most of these are indoors. You can't, you know, you can't really have a good natural grass oh, yeah, I don't, I'm not set up crazy. indoors. Yeah. But but outdoors, I don't I, I don't I don't get this. I, I agree with you. I don't get it. Yeah, and it's just and it's on top of everything else, it's expensive. Like why spend the money and then spend the money on upkeep and you just get a whole bunch of negatives? I don't know. Um sometimes some people that's my and in conclusion, some people trying to drive me nuts. <laughs> All right, so what is happening here? I've wasted all my time in a rant about artificial turf. What is the food adjacency there? You can only picnic on a real lawn. You can't picnic on artificial turf. There, I found found it. I don't know. I care about my community. I care about all of you. That's why I do this. I could be... uh I could be just sitting sitting at home uh, eating chemicals. But no, this is what I do. I'm out here advocating. Eat squash, picnic on lawns, live like it's 1820. All right, so <laughs> next week, Amal Dixit from Hot Indian is going to be here to talk about Diwali. That's a big festival of lights. It's really important in the Hindu calendar, and he runs Hot Indian, doing a lot for that. So that'll be fun. More festivals of lights we could have. I think probably we could just find a different one for a different culture every week all winter, and I and I think that would be wonderful. We'll also, um, maybe, Dan Oski will be here to talk about uh, the craft cocktail revolution. Um, and so up until that point, cook tasty things for the people you love, including yourself, because you are loved too. We are all, we are all loved. We are all children of God. We are all equal and, I don't know, beloved. And so that's, I'm a little sappy this week, but... That's because I'm fighting for the parks. And I will meet you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.